Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, hello, everybody. This is Dana Olivo with Charged Up Studio. My co-host, Sandra Dorsey, is on sabbatical right now, so you're stuck with just me this morning. But we have in our studio here, we have Rajiv Menon with Informulate. And today... I was going to have a second guest with Rajiv here. We were going to we're going to talk a little bit about technology, systems, methodologies, where we're going within the business environment and how this technology is streamlining processes and allowing us to increase our profit margins and what it's going to do or how it's affecting the overall market. Um, unfortunately, my second guest got caught up in the flu season here and ended up in the hospital with uh, pneumonia. So we're going to have to carry the ball here, Rajiv and I. Um, so first, I wanted to talk a little bit and do a little introduction as far as Rajiv is concerned. He is an engineer, speaker, and mentor. He is the founder of Informulate, a software and an innovation consultancy that employs lean startup and agile methodologies, launched in 2006. He also launched a non-startup called talentforstartups.org, and he also is the organizer for the Lean Startup Orlando and Startup Weekend Orlando. He mentors at local accelerators, notably Venture Scale Up and Central Florida Social Enterprise Accelerator, a.k.a. Rally. He is the chair-elect for the Orlando Tech Council under the Orlando Economic Partnership. Boy, you're staying busy. I try. <laughs> it's been a while since we've uh, really met. We've, we met several years ago, but pretty much we've been in passing a lot of times. And uh, I know I've always known what you did. And I'm involved in technology to a point in the sense where a lot of my clients, you know, are very heavy into the technological side of things. And I'm developing my own products as well. So, you know, it kind of, you know, melds. I work on the go to market side. Whereas you work on the project management systems development side. So right. tell me a little bit, first of all, of where you, how you got into this industry. Where, what's your background? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me, Dana. Mm-hmm. This is great. I'm glad you're doing this. And it's a great uh, asset to the community that uh, you're bringing these stories out as well as you know, educating your uh, listeners on various topics. I think it's very important because we are going through some transformational times and that's part of the topic for today is uh, how do you keep abreast of this stuff? And part of it is to listen to podcasts and listen to other sources of information to stay up to date. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, how I got involved. So um, I guess if you were to back up, uh, I did my 
I was born and raised in India. I did my bachelor's in mechanical engineering there. Uh, came to the U.S. about 20 years ago and uh, did my master's in manufacturing management. Decided uh, I was not enjoying that space as much. Moved to, did an MBA in information systems. And then I did a bunch of consulting, uh, Fortune 500 companies, uh, worked in the healthcare space first. I uh, was a developer, worked my way up to management. And um, about 14 years ago, I started in Formulate. At the time, I was uh, I was in management in Pfizer, which is a mm -hmm. um, uh, banking e-solutions company. And we were tackling big projects like U.S. Bank, Capital One, and things like that, uh, rolling out mobile banking. And so... For me, it was always a quest for making bigger and bigger impacts and kind of looking for the bigger problems to solve. And of course, starting your own company and doing that and solving problems for our clients is a pretty big challenge. So I enjoyed getting into that space. Um, since then, we've landed some big projects. Um, one of the largest universities in the world, based out of Cal uh, Silicon Valley, is a client of ours where we built a wellness platform that serves 16,000 employees and is HIPAA compliant and all this stuff. So, and that, that's been a client for ours of over 10 years. And we've uh, had some really exciting times going from where we started to where we are now. Um, so those are the kind of things I like to do. And of course, wherever possible, I always try to get engaged with upcoming technologies, um, getting engaged in the startup space, getting engaged in the community leadership space. Uh, so I'm just I'm just a curious cat, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, two things come to mind while you're talking about all this. First of all, you don't seem old enough to have that much experience behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you as, for that. Yeah, as far as that's concerned. Um, the other thing, you, you were talking about database, you mm -hmm. know, and, and your experience with database. I got a degree in MIS from the University of Central Florida, so I know just enough about databases to be dangerous. There we go. We have as something in common. As, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as far as that's concerned. But... When you were talking about, you know, where things are changing within the industry, let's talk a little bit. First of all, let's talk about Lean Startup. Sure. Okay. Can you can you explain a little bit about what Lean Startup is and where you play a role in Lean Startup? Absolutely. So um, I could start the story in a couple of different places. I'll start with my personal side. So when we started the company 14 years ago in Formulate, uh, it was very much a commodity play. We were doing outsourced development, software development, taking projects onshore, uh, and I was managing them, and we were getting them work done offshore. Uh, at the time, 14 years ago, it was a it was a hot space, and you know people were really looking into that area to find more value in terms of how much they can accomplish, and we were happy to help. Uh, and of course, I was a new entrepreneur as well, so there wasn't you know I was trying to get my own experience and. Um, Within a few years, we realized while you can accomplish, uh, you know, it's a good fit in certain situations, it's not a good fit in other situations. And for a new company that's trying to do outsourcing, if you don't have a physical presence and you don't really manage the culture and the employees in a certain way, you're not going to get the quality you wanted. So that was one of, you know, within a few years, we made our first pivot. Uh, and at the time, I had two uh, co-founders who dropped off, you know, once the, you know, it was, it was, it's, it was a stressful experience. It's interesting <laughs> that you say that because that's important for our listeners to understand that you don't necessarily start out where you want to be. Exactly. You know, you have to be flexible to be able to pivot. Absolutely. And that's a key point. So we made, I, when, I, when my co-founders dropped off, I made my first pivot was to start hiring more onshore and really, um, found that, you know, we were having a lot of different clients who had different needs and they were trying to solve a business problem. And 
most of the time they would come in with a lot of confidence, like, hey, I, I need you to build this app that does these things, or I need you to build this website that does these things. And we'd be like, okay, we've, you know, we can build that for you. And you go, they put it out in the market and the outcome isn't what they expect. So then they'd come back, okay, well, we need to change the features this way or that way, and let's try this other thing. And it was always, you know, kind of, you know, chasing your tail because you never really, the the people who are trying these things out, and they were, you know, at the time our clients were primarily small startups, uh, not anymore, but at the time there were lots of founders who had ideas and they wanted to pursue them. And I didn't really have a way to help. I felt I felt inadequate because I didn't have a way to help them. Like I was doing what they asked me to do, and on a lot of cases doing exactly what they asked me to do, but they weren't getting the outcome they wanted. And 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 when you say this, okay, this was the second part of this of this podcast that I wanted to get into is the messaging and and being able to understand. Okay, who is your customer? If you knew who your customer was. And you knew the viability of the of the product or the app that you were developing, it would be easier to be able to narrow down the requirements that are needed in order to do your job. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And that is when I really started asking those bigger level, higher level questions right. about, you know, who is your customer? What problem are you trying to solve? How do you know that this is the right customer? How do you know that this is the right problem? How do you know that your approach is the right way to solve this problem? So I really broke it down and I was developing my own methodologies at the time and my own frameworks for consulting to solve these problems. And um, it's funny because I had a, on my website at the time, uh, this was like eight, nine years ago, and we were into agile methodology at the time. So we knew we had to be responsive. We had to you know, iterate quickly. So those parts were already part of our culture. But the lean startup and innovation wasn't. And I was trying to develop that on my own. And I had an ask, listen, learn loop on my website. And that was part of my marketing materials. Cool. And I was like, yeah, you have to ask questions of the customers and the users and then listen to them and then, you know, build something and learn from it. Uh, and it was so strange and, you know, almost, you know, it, it was an epiphany for me when I first heard about Lean Startup because they have a build, measure, learn loop. And I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for. Uh-huh. And it was, of course, you know, Eric Ries, much smarter than I am. He had it fleshed out a lot better than I had at the time. And so I just grabbed onto it with both hands. I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for. This is what is going to help me and help me help my clients uh, to solve the problems the way that it should be solved right. and not rely on instincts. I mean, you can use your instincts, of course, there's a place for that, but always go back to data and go back to experiments to really prove that you're heading in the right direction. Well, and also getting back to the sequencing aspect, getting back to the requirements and the processes. Because, you know, as a strategist, when I approach my clients, we start with that big picture, which is what these app developers, these developers are trying to do, is they have a picture in mind of what they want, but they don't understand the steps, the processes that need to go in, go be sequenced into development and streamlining the, you know, the the actual development process. Absolutely. So there's, I'd say there's two or three different um, challenges. You want to always... Uh, the competitive advantage for any business is how well do you understand your customer? Exactly. And you could have, you know, the example that Eric gives and I love is uh, that of a car, right? You mm-hmm. could have a car with great mileage, great pickup, all of that. But if you're heading in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter. And if you're not getting to your goal, then your car is not really helping you. So in this case, it's like if you have a great operations and you have great execution, that's that's what agile methodology helps you is with great execution. 
But if you're executing, but you're not heading closer to solving the customer's problems, uh, you're still not going to get there. And that's where Lean Startup comes in. So Lean Startup, to answer your first question, uh, is a derivation of multiple things, previous methodologies that existed. Of course, the word lean suggests right. that there was a history to that. And of course, lean came from lean manufacturing, uh, lean Six Sigma. I'm sure a lot right. of listeners are aware of that. That was an attempt to eliminate waste. Mm-hmm. And in the startup world, uh, what Eric's whole thesis is built on is that the biggest waste is spending a lot of time and energy and money and building the wrong thing. So the whole thing is a waste if you don't build the right thing. Right. And and it's funny that you say that because I was going through my Facebook feed um, this morning and I came across this quote, the most productive person has the most time. That's true. You know? <laughs> and you can take it several different ways, but I, I like to think of this as the most productive people have figured out the secret to getting more work done with the least amount of energy. I think Bill Gates might have said something to that extent where he said, when I want something done fast, I assign it to the busiest person because I know they'll get it done real quick. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly it. You know, coming from the marketing side, the go-to-market side, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the viability, um, what should small businesses that are looking to um, take – their expertise that they they feel as though is uh, something that could be utilized in the market, what steps should they take to kind of prove viability before they actually get into the development of, say, a product or an app? Absolutely. So I'd say we could focus on maybe two aspects. There's a lot of aspects, but you could mm-hmm. focus on two that seem really important, one of which you just touched on, which is speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is tech enablement. Uh, and the biggest uh, differentiator, as I said, is how well do you know your customer? If you know your customer, there is a tremendous value uh, to that if you can unlock and uh, execute on that knowledge that you have. Uh, So the first step is really what is going to get you that knowledge about the customer the fastest. And again, Mm -hmm. speed is a factor in all of these things. How fast do you learn about your customer? How fast can you uh, come up with a solution for them? How fast can you roll it out to them? How fast can they they deliver value from your solution? So all of those uh, are factors of speed. And uh, the idea is that you don't spend a lot of time without getting engaged in feedback loops that tell you if you're heading in the right direction. So from a small business perspective, I'm assuming if they're a small business, they're already active, they have some customers, their biggest advantage is they have some customers. And if they have customers, they can ask questions and learn and be extremely curious about that customer. And once they understand what the customer's needs are, they need to start disconnecting from what they have been doing in the past. And really looking at, this problem that my customer has, there are other people solving that problem in multiple different ways. Uh, And you have to pay attention to what's happening with uh, tech-enabled businesses that you're going to be competing with. In the end, every business is going to be tech-enabled, and we're almost there, right? The trend lines are so steep that at this point, if you're not tech-enabled, you're already being disrupted right now, or you're going to be disrupted very shortly. So every small business uh, right now, your biggest asset is your knowledge of the customer. And if you are touching a customer, then uh, Google or Amazon can obviously outspend you. But uh, if you have a specialized knowledge of a customer, you still have an advantage. And you need to make use of that advantage quickly to get tech enabled. And uh, potentially, 
exit because there's a lot of money. I mean, all these, you know, the four, um, the billion, uh, trillion dollar companies plus all the VC capital, they are looking for people who have that knowledge of the customer. In fact, I would go so far as to say, it doesn't even matter whether you have a product. It doesn't even matter if you have a solution. Uh, if you have that knowledge of the customer and you can prove that you have that knowledge about the customer and that this problem is real and that you have an approach that's potentially working, Silicon Valley has spent throwing money at people without solution in hand just because they, they can prove that, hey, these people really do understand this customer problem. I need that customer knowledge. I can buy the technology. I can build the technology with money. But your customer knowledge is really the key thing that's going to be, uh, enable you to pitch and make that uh, get those investment dollars to scale out a solution. Right, right. So um, getting back to what you were talking about, you know, uh, a real life situation. Let's let's talk. Let me just talk a little bit about what I'm doing. When you talk about knowing your customer and and there being viability, you know, as far as that's concerned, you know, for the last uh, almost 12 years, I've worked with small businesses. And I'm talking micro businesses, 10 employees or less that struggle to succeed, to, to, to grow, to scale. And one of the processes that I used to take was very time intensive. It was a four hour process. And I would ask them, I would take them through four hours of strategic um, fact finding. I would ask them a series of questions, you know, things like that. And what I've done is I'm in the process of developing a product to streamline that process, whereas they do it online. And the goal is to give them a score and find out where those gaps are in the company. And it's more than just the marketing side. It's across the board, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 different KPIs. So what you're saying is if you've got that expertise, that IP, okay, Mm -hmm. that intellectual um, property, you know, um, and you've got the history behind it, you could turn that into a streamlined product that you could turn around and could be funded. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's um, there's a lot of um, small businesses right now that, as you can tell, you know, retail is being decimated. Yeah. And the Amazons and, uh, you know, uh, Google's and everybody are going to take over all of the stuff that if it's a commodity thing that you're doing, tech can do commodity better than you can. But if you have a unique uh, insight into your customer and you're looking at these niche markets, there's tremendous opportunity of untapped and new markets to open up that are tech enabled. Right. And so for small businesses to compete, they have to have ambition, first of all, is that they're not tied to the past of what they used to do. And I'll give you a great story for this because right. one of my favorite stories is, I don't remember which conference I heard it at, but it was it just resonated with me. If you go back 100 years, the ice business was about, you know, like the movie Frozen, they go out to the frozen lake, they cut the ice mm-hmm. and they bring it in here and they ship it out and they got to make sure they keep it, you know, insulated so that you can get it, get the ice to you on time. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that was made faster when they had insulated trucks came in and they were able to ship faster, great. Then they had uh, the large industrial ice makers and they would ship and they would make all the ice in one place and you could get it all year round and they would ship it to you. Great. Then the next phase was, uh, you know, smaller versions of those that showed up at restaurants and stuff and you could get your ice there. And then, of course, you have your refrigerators that we have at home mm-hmm. and that works. Now, if you look back at that history of those multiple generational changes and disruptions that occurred in the ice space, how many uh, players from the original uh, version of people who went out and got the ice from the lake still exist? I would probably none, yeah. right? Because yeah. they were not 
aware of what business they were in. The customer just needed ice. Exactly. They don't care how you got it, where you got it, when you got it, how, how much effort it takes, how many people risk their lives on a frozen lake. None of that matters. So if you, th- if you as a small business see yourself as somebody who's a lake ice specialist, you have to stop seeing yourself as a lake ice specialist right. and start seeing yourself as somebody who gets ice to the person who wants it. It doesn't matter how you get it. So that's a huge change in thinking. It seems like a minor thing, but it's not. It's not. No, that's exactly it. One of the things that I do with my clients is we talk about the customer experience. You've got to put yourself in the customer's shoes. They don't care how you solve their problem. Just knowing that you're going to solve their problem to their expectations. And you have to put yourself in their shoes to understand what are those expectations. So when we're talking about what we're talking today, lean startup, technology, um, systems and methodologies, Put yourself in your in your customers' shoes. What are they expecting? Right. You know, with my customers, they want to know. Okay, where are the issues within my company? Okay, what's keeping me from crossing over that one million dollar revenue mark? What's keeping me, you know, from uh, what's what's making it so that my customers, once I get them, they don't last. They don't stay. They end up going to the competition within two, three months. Right. You know, and unless you understand what their expectations are and can meet those expectations, they are going to go searching for somebody else to meet them. Right. And so it all boils down to one mindset, which is, are you looking at it from a scarcity perspective? Are you looking at it from an abundance perspective? And there's a great book, Abundance, which we can, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure you've read it. But um, the idea that also leaning into the chaos and the uncertainty, because new product development, new business development is all about chaos and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And you have to trust yourself that your ability to learn and keep up is going to hold you in good stead. So to give you an example, like if you were looking at a retail owner uh, who has, uh, he's doing something and he's touching some customers per day and they're paying him something, him or her, uh, a certain amount and they're getting a product or service, great. And you know that Amazon's going to come after you at some point and you can see business A and business B to your left and right going out of business. Well, you have a choice. Are you going to be afraid that Amazon's going to take your business and just try to maximize whatever you can while you can and get frantic every year? Or... Are you going to look at, hey, what can I learn about my customer? I have access to them today. I might not have access to them a couple of years from now. I need to maximize my learning and knowledge of this customer to see what else I can sell them, what else I can do here. Maybe I can make something that scales because the only way you can attract interest from VCs or take over, you know, acquisitions or any of Mm -hmm. that sort is if you're not just a retail company, you're trying to do something that scales. So go out. Talk to your customers, find ways to engage with them, look at what other problems you can solve, and then look at tech enabling that. Right. That is the way that you take things forward. Because, you know, a few years from now, all of that, anything that can be commoditized will be automated, will be, you know, right. things will be uh, taken out of your hands. So, and that's exactly it. You know, that's exactly what we're talking about. So um, let's go back a little bit. And I'd like you to, to kind of give our audience a, uh, a little bit of understanding of what type of people are moving into this industry, okay? Is it the millennials? Is it the baby boomers who have all this experience and what they've done is in order to subsidize their retirements, they're saying, okay, what do I need to do? And they're taking that experience and bringing it to the market. You mean in terms of the startup space, who's coming into the startup space? Exactly. Yeah, I think uh, there is an interesting 
um, you know, there's some misconceptions out there about who are these startup founders. And um, if you look at the statistics, uh, there's actually less startups amongst the younger generation than you would imagine. Uh, most of the startup founders are 45, 50 plus. Exactly. And um, the reason is because they have seen it, they have experience, they have confidence, they probably have some financial backing, and they can take those risks. But the ones that are successful obviously have to be uh, engaging with uh, younger generations. And, you know, we all know the examples of Mark Zuckerberg and the, you know, uh, Google founders and all of that when they started things at a young age and young Steve Jobs. Those are the stories we hear, but that's not the average. The average is very different. So having said that, uh, there is there is a great power in intergenerational uh, you know, uh, teams coming together. And there was this great uh, statistic, which I'm going to misrepresent here, but something that the multi-member founding teams, which had three or four founders, were more successful than the solo founders. Uh, because there's a diversity of perspectives and there's, uh, you know, more validation. People challenge you when you say something. But if you're a solo founder, you go do whatever you want. So there is a great advantage in, you know, the services that you provide, for example, mm -hmm. if, for solo founders. And that's what I do for some of the founders who come to me is really provide that other aspect of learning. Uh, that being said, uh, the younger generations obviously are more digital native right. than the older generations. Um and they are aware of a lot more tools. They know how these generations think. They, uh, you know, social media, for example. I mean, that's a whole industry that did not exist um, 15 years ago. And now there's hundreds of thousands of people that make a living on social media, on YouTube, on, you know, Instagram, whatever. Well, with that being said, um, we're down to the last couple of minutes of this podcast, and I'd like to continue for another, uh, another episode. And I'd like to get into that intergenerational Sure. And talk a little bit about where you and Informulate have in integrated this intergenerational aspect into your business. And, and we'll talk a little bit about how I'm doing it as well. Okay? Absolutely. And so that is the end of this this uh, segment with Rajiv Menon with Menon <laughs> with Informulate. And we will be back with Rajiv again to talk about the intergenerational aspect. Sure. You can reach us at chargedupstudio.live. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We also invite you to join us on Patreon as a supporter for Charged Up Studio. Thank you once again for joining us for this session. Thanks, Dana. Okay. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.